We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church.
opportunity to worship through our giving. So as the plays go around, let's go ahead and continue to sing as we worship in our giving. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom. Yeah. 
Oh, there it is. I forgot where I put my Bible for a second. Whew. Man, man, we would have been in trouble. We would have been in trouble. Y'all are like watching me like he's looking around looking for something. You're right. I was looking for my Bible. And I put it exactly where I always put it, uh, right there. Well, if you're a guest with us today, let me first say thank you for being here. And we're so grateful for people who walk through these doors for the first time Sometimes not knowing another soul in here, but just walking in, trying to find a place where you can learn how to walk with Jesus or hear about Jesus for the very first time, and so we're thrilled. But if you are a guest with us today, right in front of you, hopefully in the chair in front of you, there's a little card that says, um, connect here. If you would just honor us by taking that card and filling it out, and then later on in our time of worship, at the close of our worship time together, as you exit the building to the right, there's a, a, a high kind of counter space. If you could just put it right there, we'll have someone pick it up. Even better, if someone's behind that counter, if you could just hand it to them, uh, that would be great. But um, we want to begin that friendship with you, and we're grateful that you're here with us today. So we have been in Colossians uh, for a number of weeks now. And Paul, uh, being very pastoral, has demonstrated his affection for this small church in Colossae. He really wants them um, to know their security in Jesus. Most of all, he wants them to know that Jesus is sufficient for all of their life, not just to forgive them of their past sin, but also um, that he is sufficient for every area of their life, to know how to live and to walk in the world in which we live, and, and he really has an affection for them, and he wants to protect them from what other people might be whispering into their ears, in the same way that the world whispers a lot of things into our ears about what life is really about. Paul is saying, no, I want you to be aware of, of these whisperings, these, these, these untruths, this deception that is uh, around, in and around you. And so, so I want you to grow up in Jesus. I, I, I want you to know who you are in Christ so that you can discern between truth and error. Now in chapter three, he begins to turn a corner based upon everything that he has said so far. So he's told him, I want you to grow up in Jesus. I, I want you to realize who you are in Jesus. And now I'm gonna tell you how that begins to take shape. In your life. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in him, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Full stop. If you notice in your scriptures, the sentence continues, but we're going to stop here for now. You may be seated. You may be seated. So when Paul gives us that instruction, that command, I want you to walk in Jesus. He said that earlier on in chapter 2. I want you to walk in him. If Jesus is everything that he has declared to be and claimed to be, then by all means, walk in him. But I just want to remind you this morning, when Paul talks about this new life in Jesus, he's not talking about pragmatism. What I mean by that, he's not just talking about a life that may, might work for you. Uh, he's talking about a new life in Jesus that's absolutely essential for your life now and for eternal life. Absolutely essential for your rescue, for your redemption, and to lead you in a way of life that not just works out, but you are desperate for. So in the same way that if you were on a sinking ship and the Coast Guard approaches, you wouldn't be asking the Coast Guard, hey, by the way, could you find me a better room on the boat that I'm sinking in? Or, or could you make sure I get to dine with the best people on board? You would be concerned about pragmatism at that point. You'd be concerned about what? getting off the sinking ship. And so this is what Paul is most concerned about. He says, I have talked to you about a Jesus and to, to invite you to live a new life with new perspective, not just so that it could work out for you, that, that you know your marriage might be better or your relationships at work might be better. I want you to follow Jesus and put your faith in Christ because otherwise you will not know rescue. You will not be redeemed from your own brokenness and your own sin, and you will not be destined for eternal life. That's why he calls them to a new life, because we are desperate for rescue out of a disastrous life that's headed towards a disastrous end. And then we will know the fulfilled promise of God, knowing forgiveness, restoration, and our inheritance in Jesus. So Paul invites us, firstly, to begin thinking in a new way. Walking in Jesus means having a new perspective, looking at life differently than everybody else, the way that the world has taught us to look at it. Paul says, no, you have to begin looking at life in a brand new way. You begin to look for answers in not the same old places, but in someone new, namely Jesus. He's saying, I want you to think in a new way because of three rock-solid truths about who you are in Jesus now. Now, we've already talked about some of these things, but Paul kind of hangs on these truths about who we are. And so he kind of begins here. And the first thing that we're reminded of is that we are risen. If you look at verses 1 and 3, he says this in verse 1, if you have been raised, right? And he's talking figuratively and literally. We've been raised from the deadness of our sin and the brokenness of our 
flesh. He says, you've been raised. And then verse 3, he says, for you have died. And so he has this picture in both verses 1 and 3 of dying to this old part of who we are. Right, This old bondage, this old sin that has restrained us and that we have been enslaved to and has also condemned us. And he says, but you have died to all of that because of Jesus. And you now you are raised in the same way that Jesus rose from life, having victory over sin and death. He says, if you're in Jesus, then you have risen too. And so that's the first part of our identity that Paul wants us to make sure is rock solid, that by faith, we have been rescued. We have died to an old life. Your sinful, broken, messed up life has been put to death, and it's been buried, and you have since been raised. And Paul says, now you're free. You're free from the penalty which you owed because of sin. Jesus paid for that penalty on the cross, and you are free from the bondage of sin. No longer does sin have hold of you, but you're free to walk in a new kind of way, free to think in a new kind of way. In other words, he's saying because you have died to sin and risen because of the work of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ, that your sinful nature and the sin in your life, past or present or future, no longer has claim on you. No longer has claim on you. You're risen. You're risen. You've been forgiven and given a new life in Jesus. And so Paul would say, so when you think about your sin... And when you think about your own brokenness, you don't look back at it fondly, right? Now, that's what Paul is saying. I want you to think about this new life all differently. You've been risen from that. You, were, you died to that, and you've been risen with new life. I don't, you don't want you to think back and look on your brokenness in a fond uh, kind of way, like that, that's a part of you that you miss. He says, no, I want you to think completely differently, I want you to look beyond that broken self which has been redeemed, and I want you to look to someone else. So that's the first part of the identity that he's reminding us, that you have died and you're brand new in Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. You've been forgiven of past sin. Then he says this in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul would say, not only have you been rescued from past sin, you, you've died to it, and now you're risen, uh, and not just past sin, but present sin and future sin, but now he has secured you in the present. You are his. You are hidden in Christ. Later, he'll say, Christ, who is your life. That's an incredible thought, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it is Christ in us. Christ, who is your life, that when, when Jesus looks upon his children, sons and daughters of God, who put their faith in his son Jesus, they no longer see the wrecked brokenness of who we are. They see the righteousness of their son. And he says, in that way, you are hidden and secure in Jesus. What good news for us. What good news for us. Listen, as Christians... We do not live this new life from a position of weakness and insecurity. As if we could fall off the precipice at any moment and God would be unable to catch us. No, that's not the picture Paul is painting for us. He says, no, let me tell you, you are hidden in Jesus. You are secure. You don't 
live this life. You don't move into this life with Jesus from weakness. You move into it from strength, not your own strength, but from the strength of my son because you are secure. You're not going to be knocked off. You don't have to do put all uh, these works together to add up to some kind of righteousness of your own. He says, no, you're secure. You're hidden in Jesus. You're hidden in Jesus. We walk in Jesus from a position of security and strength. Paul says, Jesus has got you. He's got you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. Now move into what he has already secured for you. That's Paul's word to us. You're hidden in Jesus. Ann and I had the privilege of going to Paris several years ago. Um, and as most people who go to Paris, you go to the Eiffel Tower, right? It's incredible. It's incredible uh, in person. And uh, we went up to the second platform on the Eiffel Tower. It's not all the way to the top. Um, Anna, there was no way Anna was going to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Way too tall, way too open. Um, and the, the, the second tier of this huge steel trust structure uh, is very open, if you've been there before. Uh, th there's really uh, no place where you can look where you don't see the ground in some way, right? Um, and so we got up there just fine. We walked it, by the way. We didn't use the elevators. If you use the elevators, you're a wuss. You've got to walk. <laughs> You've got to walk all those, and it took us like 20 minutes to get to the second, uh, second platform of the Eiffel Tower. But here's the deal. We got up there all right. But when we started to take the step down those steps, Anna could see through all of the trusses, and she could see the height from which we were descending from, and she couldn't do it. I mean, there was, I didn't know what I was going to do. Because we didn't pay for the elevator. <laughs> so this is what we did. She had to close her eyes, and she put her hands on my shoulder. And I walked her down. I said, I got you. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus says to us. He says, I want you to know you're hidden in me. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. You don't have to work yourself to the bone to kind of figure out how you're going to do this life or add up righteousness so that God will accept you. He says, no, I've got you. You are in me. I'm going to get you to where you need to go. Just trust me. Just trust me. That's what he means. So not only are we risen in Christ, we've been forgiven of of past sin and future sin. Not only are we hidden and secure in Christ, but look at this, what Paul says he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then, also will, uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's an incredible thought. What in the world is Paul talking about? Uh, but Paul is saying, listen, there will be a day that the fullness of Jesus' life will be yours when he comes back. He says, you're gonna wrestle now. You're still gonna wrestle with your own dying brokenness and your own temptation to sin and choose things that are not 
Jesus' way. You're gonna be tempted to do all those things and you're gonna wrestle. There's gonna be a war between now, but let me promise you, you're, you're hidden and secure, but there will be a day when the fullness of Jesus' righteousness is all yours. You will be perfect and will appear with Jesus in glory. Isn't that incredible? I mean, can you, can you paint the picture now that Paul is trying to convey to us and convey to the Colossians? He's saying, listen, this is who you are. You've been forgiven of sin, past, present, and future. You're hidden in Christ. You're secure. And there will be a day where you will no longer wrestle in your sin and you wrestle in your brokenness, but Jesus' righteousness will be fully your own. You will no longer have a sinful thought in the same way that Jesus didn't have a sinful thought. You will no longer sin in the same way that Jesus never sinned. He will be completely yours in every sense of the literal word. You will appear with him in glory. That day's coming. That day's coming. And he says, listen, if that's the case, if that's the case, then in order for you to live this new life, to walk in the way of Jesus, then you have to set your minds on things above. Last week, he talked about the people that would come around the Colossians and start whispering into them and saying, you know what, real spirituality is dressing a certain way. Real spirituality is eating certain things or not eating certain things. Real spirituality is only worshiping on certain days. He would say they came up with those ideas, not from God, but from a sensuous mind. They had an earthly mind. He says, I want you to abandon earthly way of thinking that sensuous mind, and I want you to move your mind and look to the things above where Jesus is. He says, if you're gonna walk in this new life in Jesus, then you've gotta set your mind elsewhere than the things of this world and earth. You've gotta set your minds on Jesus. He's saying, I want you to think in a new way, a new perspective, and the only way to do that is to set your mind on the righteous son of God. Not only, not only does he invite us to think in a new way, he says, uh, when you begin to think in a new way, you begin to live in a new way. We know that. I mean, we, we know that from just life in general. When we begin to set our minds on a thing, when we devote our heart and mind's energy on a thing, that thing, either it's an idea or whatever, begins to shape who we are. What we meditate on us on usually affects our decisions, right? That's what he's saying. Move beyond that sensuous mind that only exalts itself and look to Jesus. Set your mind there. But when you do that, Whatever you set your mind on is gonna shape how you live. So Paul says, I want you to live in a new way. So what does he say? He says, verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What is, what is Paul saying is, when you begin to set your mind on the things above and realizing who you are in Jesus, you go to war. Go to war. Uh, he says when you're able to really see 
and make the distinctions between the things of the world that exalt self and reject God, and you're beginning to see Christ for who he is and what he's promised you and secured for you in his work on the cross and the resurrection, he says, when you begin to see those things, therefore, go to war. You're gonna go to war against the things of the flesh which have held you back and have held you in bondage for years and years. Paul says you don't stay where you have been. You don't stay in the things and the brokenness of which you have been forgiven. And verse six tells them, he says, don't you know that it's those very things um, uh, of which demands the wrath of God. Wrath of God is coming. And he says, you were forgiven of those kind of same things. And so when you set your minds on things above and not things on the earth, and you see those things for what they are, and you begin by the grace of God to put those things to death in your life. You begin to live in a new way. You go to war. You put to death that sensuous mind. This is one of Paul's lists. Paul has a lot of lists. Uh, this list that he lists in verse 5 all of them happen to relate to sexual sin, which he says is idolatry. It begged the question to me, why, why in the world does Paul, in this list, only list those kinds of sin? Why those in particular? And I just wanna spend a moment just addressing that question. Why sexual sin? Why sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness, as in coveting your neighbor's wife? Why does he list those things? Our flesh, and when I use the word flesh, I'm trying to use it in the same way that Paul uses it. Paul uses the word flesh to describe that broken part of our nature that is always at odds with the will of God and the righteousness that Jesus has secured for us. That's where the battle is, right? Until Jesus comes back, there's the, the, the war of sin and flesh that doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And Paul says, man, it's the sin in me, right? There's that battle that goes on. So our flesh, that part of our broken nature that is at war against the righteousness Jesus has secured for us, listen, does not wage a superficial war. He just doesn't attack the surface of things. Those superficial things like be careful what you eat. No, uh, the flesh always gets under our skin into the most personal and intimate parts of God's design for our humanity. This is another reminder that all of our life, including our sexual life, is spiritual in nature. And we know that because that's the first place and most intimate place that the enemy and the flesh will attack. Why? Why? Sexual intimacy taps into our deepest longings by design. Sexual intimacy taps into our deepest longings to be known and to know. To be one, to know unity, to know fellowship, to know acceptance. And the enemy will do everything that he can through our broken flesh to distort that in every way, to disconnect us 
from the Father. So here, this is what I'm saying, that God created us in our sexuality, our deepest, most personal and intimate need to belong, to be accepted. Now in marriage, which also is a picture of the gospel, right? Where that need of acceptance and belonging and oneness is met in marriage. And Paul says marriage is a picture of ultimately our deepest longings to have with God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, some of you can quote this, this is eternal life that you may what? Know God and the one whom he has sent. Jesus says the whole reason God created men and women, uh, humanity, is so ultimately they can have an intimate, knowing, accepting fellowship and unity with their creator. Marriage is a picture of that fulfillment. Marriage by design was always intended to point to that fulfillment, that covenant oneness that we can have with God, that Jesus has to restore through the cross and the resurrection. And Paul is identifying these sexual sins because the flesh was going to target our most intimate places in life that are a reflection of our deepest desire of belonging. Paul says, in your culture, Colossae, and in our culture, United States of America and across the world, the, our world, the lies that our world has spun about sexuality has so wrecked and distorted. We have exalted our own sexuality, and in turn, we have rejected God in fellowship with him. And our own sexuality becomes a God, right? It's who we are. It defines us. Everything that we do revolves around our, our sexuality, in this case, our sexual brokenness. And Paul says, no, listen, you've got to put that to death because that deepest longing and sexual intimacy points to your desire and deepest need for a father who created you and has now redeemed you in Jesus. Put those things to death. Did that make sense? That's why Paul lists those things. In 1 Corinthians 6, um, Paul says, I want to remind you that when you sin sexually, you sin against your own selves, your own body. You do great harm to yourself. Not to mention, he says, when Jesus rescued you, your, your body became the very temple of the Holy Spirit. You can no longer do whatever you will with it. I, God says, I, I made you, and now I have filled you with the Spirit of God. And you turn your heart and your mind to me as the one who can fulfill your deepest needs and longings. Not to something else that you make into a God of your own. Then in verse 8, he says this. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Did that hit anybody? Not the obscene talk part, but all of it. Man, he just gets to the heart of things. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of this as well, is that we moved away from chapter two and these people that were whispering lies to the Colossians, and those were all on the surface of things. Don't eat, don't touch, don't handle, don't wear. And that's why Jesus says those things don't matter because they don't come out of the heart. But Paul targets the brokenness of the human condition, the heart. And he says, I, I want you to look at your, 
sexuality. I want you to look at the sexual immorality in you and put that to death. And he says, I want you to look at the malice and anger and uh, animosity and wrath and jealousy in your heart and begin to put them away. When you set your minds on things above, knowing who you are in Jesus, that Christ's righteousness is yours. Paul says, when you set your mind on that, then it begins to change the way you live this life. You, you begin to not just think in a new way, you walk in a new way. You peer into your own human heart and the brokenness that still is alive and kicking. You look into that and say, no, I've got to put that to death. I've got to put that to death. Paul just uses... Um, Another analogy to describe what this walking in Jesus looks like, what this new life looks like. Um, we only get a part of it in verse 9, and he's going to complete the thought in verse 10. But he says it's like putting off the old self. Right? He almost describes it as putting off the old self. You know, taking off old garments that have been soiled, and you've just worn your whole Life and they have holes in them, they're riddled, they're no good, they don't keep you warm anymore, they're dirty, they're a mess. And Paul says, it's, it's like, Colossians, it's like taking off old spoiled garments that stink and that are broken. He says, the new life is like that, it's that process of taking off. Sometimes it's just a garment at a time. Sometimes it's just like, man, I need to take the jacket off. This jacket is just tired and old. Uh, sometimes it's other parts of our life that we see, and I, I've got to put that to death too, I, you know? For us, this side of eternity until Jesus comes, it's, it's very much a process, isn't it? I mean, that's what this new life is. It's very much a process of walking, walking. When Paul talks about this new life and walking in Jesus, he's talking about, all right, Colossians, all right, First Baptist, when you're in Jesus, there is this new kind of life, this new pattern of living that begins to emerge in you. And in this new pattern, this new emerging of life, you're taking off things that have only held you back and have condemned you. You're taking those things off and you're beginning to put on the things that are yours in Jesus. Instead of wrath and anger, it's gentleness, self-control, kindness, it's grace. Right? Have you ever heard the term already, not yet? That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I want you to know already you are secure in Jesus. You're hidden in Christ. You have risen. Uh, the inheritance of Jesus is yours when he returns in all of its fullness. But even though the certainty of the flesh is death, until Jesus comes back, he's it's still kind of dying. And Paul says, go ahead and put it out of its misery. In the same way that until Jesus returns, all of the righteousness of God's, God's is our inheritance. But we're not perfect yet. We're still trying to learn how to put on these clothes. He's saying not only are you putting to death those things that are already certainly dead. God's going to completely do away with them. But it's like they're still hanging around. They're on their way out. He says in the same way, 
Um, Christ's righteousness will be fully yours, but between now and then you do everything you can to put on those righteous garments. That's what this life is like. The Christian life is not a breeze. The Christian life isn't a walk in the park. The Christian life isn't made just so that it works. Paul says the Christian life is a battle between our security in Jesus now and when Christ returns as we cling to the promises of God. He says, I want you to do everything you can in this life. In the midst of the world that's going to tell you all kinds of lies, I want you to set your minds on me, on things above, so that you can begin taking off the old, unrighteous, broken bondage and begin to put on new life, the righteousness of my son. The next few weeks, he's going to get into a lot of detail of what that might look like. Can I invite you to respond today, to renew a commitment to fight that kind of fight in your life, to go to war, to set your minds on things above, to hold on to the promises of God that we have in Jesus, to get into the word of God so that we cannot be persuaded by every other thing, but be persuaded by Christ alone. Will you make a commitment to do that? Uh, As we move into a time of response this morning, our invitation always is for you to pray, to earnestly seek in the same way that uh, David uh, asked the Lord, Lord, is there any harmful way in me? In any part of my life? even the most intimate, personal parts of our life. Any harmful way in me. Can I lead you to repentance today? Would you come and pray here, kneel here? Our commitment to you is you won't be alone, that someone, whoever the Lord leads, will come alongside you and pray over you. Also, it may be that some, will, some of you, God will put someone in mind that's in this room, and my invitation is you just go to them right now, pray for them. Say, hey, can I pray for you right now? Would you do that? And lastly, listen, some of you have not put your faith and trust in Christ. Uh, You have put your faith in maybe your own work, doing stuff. Maybe that's enough, God. The word of God says that'll never be enough. Would you put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus, the son of God, who lived a life without sin and then paid the penalty of your sin on the cross and rose from the grave victorious over sin so that you can know forgiveness, wholeness, and restoration and fellowship with God. We want to know about that too. Would you come and let me know? I'll be right here. Let's respond to our Jesus today. Will you stand with me and let's worship?
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.